the good news is, is that there's a science to this whole thing. The one thing we all have in common is we have this brain. And because we have this brain, we can understand how it works. Some of it's evolved, but there's some basic fundamental things that haven't. We can still count on some of those basic fundamentals to get us through. And so we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about that, exploring it. But today, it's really about how do we capture attention in a distracted world? And so this thing, just one, to understand that we are not any different than everyone else because, you know, the, the emails and the text messages, we're just that distraction for somebody else. <laughs> the people that are trying to get a hold of you, you are that same person for someone else. And so as you are annoyed or frustrated by everyone else, are you the person annoying someone else? It's time to get inside your own head. Begin with the psychology behind your behaviors and fuse it with an acute understanding of self-awareness, emotion, storytelling, body language, and more. Then look at it all through the lens of the latest neuroscience research, broken down to its most digestible form. And you've arrived. Enhanced messaging, deeper connection, heightened influence, and a greater impact on the world. Welcome to the Neuroside of Influence and Leadership with Renee Rodriguez. All right, here we are for episode, I think it's episode one. I think the first one I called it episode zero because really got us clear on what this podcast is about and where we're going. But today I'm excited because I want to talk about this concept of capturing attention in a distracted world. This is the really the first step. I mean, how, God, in such a distracted world, social media, I mean, I've even got my phone sitting next to me here had to put it on silent because it's it's going to buzz. You probably have a phone next to you. Maybe you're driving and at home. Maybe you're on a treadmill or watching pieces of this on, on YouTube or somewhere. We have things going on and we've got messages to, li- to deliver. We've got agendas we've got to achieve. We've got things we've got to do. And man, everybody is so distracted. And how do we even begin this conversation around influencing behavior when people don't even pay attention? I mean, how do you get people to look your way? How do you even capture that? And so I've got a story that I want to share today that it actually happened about two, three weeks ago that was perfect for this topic. And I'm not going to get into that just yet, but I'll, I'll come back to it. But let's go back to this. I was, I was actually going back to a book I read several months ago. And if you haven't Pick this one up. It's, it's fantastic. It's by Brendan Kane. It's Hook Point. It's awesome. I mean, fantastic book. He also wrote the book, A Million Followers. And in the beginning, and the book Amplify isn't about social media capturing attention that way. It's, but there's so much overlap in how all of this is looked at. And I think you have to study influence and you have to study this world from multiple angles. And so don't get stuck in one thing. You have to look at everything from multiple angles. And I've always said this to everybody that you're the best practices and innovations come from outside your industry. So take a look at things, how other industries are approaching some of the same challenges that you're facing. Look at how challenges are at its essence being approached, right? Because social media needs to capture attention, but so does a salesperson that doesn't use social media. And the brain is looking at things that, yes, there are nuances, but yet there's still overlap. And so it's good to look at things from multiple perspectives. And so even though social media isn't my world, I like to look at how social media and marketing looks at things and how branding captures attention because 
there is so much overlap. And so in this book, I want to have my notes over here because I wanted to make sure I captured the numbers correctly. And uh, please get the book. His stuff is fantastic. We actually were on an interview with my good friend, Dave Savage, who uh, is a CEO of Mortgage Coach, fantastic company, and absolutely brilliant. But I want to share these numbers with you because his book is about capturing your attention in three seconds, which by the way, the research shows that you have in a social media world, you have three seconds to capture attention. Now, before I even go into this, I want to frame this up a little bit. If you don't think that you're an arrogant jerk when it comes to your attention, check yourself next time you're scrolling through Instagram or anything that you can scroll. And if you can't see me right now, but I'm going to pretend that I'm scrolling here. Really, what you're doing is every time you swipe up and you're scrolling, what you're saying is, no, nope, that was boring. That sucked. Not nope, boring. Didn't capture my attention. Oh, what's that? No, nope, that's stupid. That sucks. That's growing. We are so quick to move on to the next thing. Yeah, we're not saying that out loud, but what we're saying is you didn't capture my attention and it's happening instantly. And so his research is saying that we have three seconds to capture attention. And this is what blew my mind. And so his book is about hook points. So meaning how do you capture somebody in three seconds with what he calls a hook point? And he uses it in his book. And I thought this was brilliant, but I think his research is fantastic. So this is what he's saying, that every single day we have 60 billion messages going out on digital media on all platforms, 60 billion messages every single day. On average, we all spend around 11 hours a day interacting digitally somehow. And we scroll through 300 feet of screens. That's three football fields that we're scrolling through, 300 feet. We use our cell phones, our mobile phones, 1,500 times a week. Now check this one out. We check our email inbox 30 times an hour. Think about that for a minute. 30 times an hour we're checking our inbox. I, that, that to me blew my mind. And I remember, I'm gonna pause those numbers here for a minute because I remember back in the day when David Allen wrote his book, Getting Things Done, and the amount of times we were trying to reduce how often we grabbed our mouse by learning keystroke shortcuts. And they were saying that we were upwards of 1,500 times a day we grabbed our mouse. And if we were looking for ways to just increase executive efficiency by learning keystrokes on a computer, imagine now, if I'm checking my inbox 30 times an hour, what would happen if I just waited another hour and checked it then? I, I mean, my, my mind is going crazy when every time I hear this stuff. So that's 30 times an hour email. Now, Facebook. Every 60 seconds on Facebook, there's 400 new users, new users, and there's 317,000 updates every sec, every 60 seconds. 317,000 updates and 147,000 photos are uploaded every 60 seconds. Instagram has 95 million photos and videos uploaded every day, and YouTube, ready for this? 500 hours are uploaded each minute on YouTube. So, yeah a lot of people are competing for our attention. And here's the crazy part. I remember growing up, if you wanted to watch TV, you got this thing called the TV Guide. And if you were cool, you had it online, but you had a TV Guide and you looked at what was on TV and what they decided to play for you is what you watched. And then we got older, now we watch what we want, when we want. And if we don't like it, we pick up our phones and we watch what we want. We are spoiled in that sense. So we control what we consume. When we control what we consume, we become extremely picky about what we consume. And so in that world, our brains start evolving a little bit and our expectations change. We're in a world where literally within 
24 hours, we have access to anything. And now with Prime Now, Amazon Prime Now, we have access within hours to anything. And so the, the distance between the thought and manifestation of something in front of me, I want, I need food. Okay, DoorDash or uh, Uber Eats, the food's here. Oh, you know what? We, we need batteries for our meeting. We could we, we can be at a, me, at a meeting, at a keynote, and we need batteries in the next four hours. We just prime now, and all of a sudden it shows up. Instacart, there's, I mean, there's so many different ones out there. And things show up so if we can think about it. And all of a sudden it shows up. Think about what it does for our expectations, customer expectations. And so everything's evolving so fast. And now here we are with an idea. <laughs> and we've got to be able to plant this idea somehow and influence someone to take action on it in the midst of everybody wanting to do the same exact thing. Because we talk about how everybody wants our attention, but guess what? You're part of that everybody. All of us. We want people to pay attention to us. And we want people to pay attention to our ideas. We want people to date us and to, to buy our products and to buy into our visions and to come along with what our, you know, invest in our companies. Whatever it is that you want, your agenda, you're part of it. And guess what? That's okay. We just have to learn to evolve along with it. The good news is, is that there's a science to this whole thing. The one thing we all have in common is we have this brain. And because we have this brain, we can understand how it works. Some of it's evolved, but there's some basic fundamental things that haven't. We can still count on some of those basic fundamentals to get us through. And so we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about that, exploring it. But today, it's really about how do we capture attention in a distracted world? And so this thing, just one, to understand that we are not any different than everyone else because, you know, the, the emails and the text messages, we're just that distraction for somebody else. <laughs> the people that are trying to get a hold of you, you are that same person for someone else. And so as you are annoyed or frustrated by everyone else, are you the person annoying someone else? So what is annoying? Anything to me that is of no value. And so usually things that are of no value usually lack relevancy. We want to make sure that we're constantly thinking about how do we become relevant in terms of timing. We're going to learn about Kairos. That's one of the uh, rhetorical elements in the, uh, one of the, what we, uh, Aristotle would call his appeals, right? His influence appeals that needs to happen for persuasion. So this timeliness, the value that's being created, all of this stuff is trying to play into this algorithm of influence. But let's go back. I want to tell you a story. So I was at a keynote. In fact, actually, I was at an Amplify event that we had in Utah a few weeks ago. And I was asked to do a keynote in the same city. And so we decided to plan the Amplify event at the same hotel so that we could go, I could go speak at the conference over lunch. Pretty smart idea. So I thought, and it was there, it was about five or 600 people there. And they told me that it was going to be over lunch. Now I learned my lesson in 2007 that a lunch keynote is not a good thing to do. The reason is my first time doing that it was 2007. It was, I think it might've been 1200 people in the room. And that means you have 1200 people clanging plates, drinking glasses, knives and forks, cutting things, and then you have dozens, if not 1,100 people, 1,200 people, you had a couple hundred people, staff that are oblivious to the fact that you're trying to communicate a message and they're picking up plates and walking around and just doing their job. Now they're amazing, they're just doing their job, but they're, they don't really have much interest in the fact that I'm trying to <laughs> capture the attention of an audience. That was a brutal gig. And so I learned a long time ago to try to avoid those at all cost. Even though I knew it was difficult, I took it on anyways. 
people ask me why, because I was also a keynote speaker at that same conference. And I took it on because I told people, I said, you know, you go to the gym to get better at what you do. You put extra plates on the bar to get stronger at what you do. And in keynote speaking, it's harder to find places that sort of push you. And I did that because I wanted to put a few plates on the bar, right, to, to sweat a little bit and practice how can I walk an audience and really capture people's attention. And so that's kind of how goofy my brain works. But it was good and just one of those things I still wanted to avoid. So they said it was over lunch and I asked what time and there was another speaker speaking prior to me and I said I'll go after them so I can catch the tail end of lunch. I did confirm that they would be finished with eating at that point. So I was, what I thought, in the clear. So we get down there for the first speaker. We watch, and I was curious how the gentleman was going to be responding and, and going to deal with the audience who was going to be eating. And the gentleman began his talk from stage, and people began, as expected, to eat. Plates were being served, rude people conversing as if there wasn't a keynote, and he began to tell a story from the heart. People were listening, trying to listen, but also at the same time distracted. You know, heartfelt story, fantastic speaker, but difficult because people weren't paying attention. And the amount of clicking, even if you're paying attention and somebody bangs something next to you and asks you a question, you look away, you're missing the essence of the story. So many other distractions, the brain keeps picking up on all this stuff. And you start seeing evolve the realities that no matter how good your story is, if you haven't controlled your room, if you haven't controlled the dynamic of where you're presenting, one of the first things in the sequence that we need to do is Who's my audience? Where am I at? What's the room? What's the scenario? Is there a storm going on? Is the power work? All the basics. If all those things are not playing right in your favor, you're going to be in trouble. And so he didn't account for it, and he was paying the price for it. It was painful. My heart went out for him, and we're watching, and I mean, gosh, there was so many, and there's people in the front row that felt and could empathize with him that were really trying to help him out, and he was doing his best. And then, of course, the worst happened is micro, he kind of tried getting closer to the microphone and it fed back into the speakers and that high pitch sound went off. I mean, of course, then you saw how stressed he was and he was frustrated with the crowd and it started feeding on itself. And of course, there's another lesson, the importance of managing stress on stage. Stress management is one of the biggest elements when it comes to influence, when it comes to speaking, being in front of, of a room. Gosh, you can have the best presentation, but if you aren't managing that stress under fire, because here's the thing. It's never going to go perfect, ever. And if it does, good, awesome, great, bravo, but never plan on it going perfect. I stopped using PowerPoint years ago, and I tell people I never, ever use video in a keynote. And they said, why? I said, because the video never works. The audio just never works. They said, Wait, how do you know it never works? It just doesn't work. That's my assumption because it just never works. Getting audio to work in a large room, there's too many things involved. Too, it's another thing that can go wrong. If I eliminate PowerPoint and I eliminate video, it forces me to be a more dynamic presenter. Now, I do use a flip chart and a marker. The only way the marker doesn't work is if it's dry. So the flip chart usually works, and that also allows me to create a something custom in front of the room. So now that's also something for another time. So this poor gentleman's up there. He's having a hard time. He does his presentation. He gets off stage. People give him the obligatory clap, comes off. They do their piece. I'm watching these people. They should be done eating by now. And they start introducing me. Of course, my stress level starts to go up. I start to breathe. And, you know, do I show that I'm nervous? No. Am I? 
Yes. Not nervous. Probably more frustrated at this point. And I'm watching and they're still eating. They're still eating. And I'm, and now here's the other thing. I've got my students in the class, right? And so here I go, I'm teaching a course on Amplify and they're watching and they're saying, okay, here's Renee. He's going up there. He's got a room that's not paying attention. How is this going to turn out? I said, okay, let's go back to the basics. Control the room. Now, controlling the room isn't always the nicest thing to observe in the beginning because it does require a level of assertiveness in the beginning and it does require you to ask for what you need. And it doesn't always mean that you start with a bang because here's the thing, they're not ready to hear the bang. I use this example all the time. If you had a seed and you wanted to plant that seed, would you plant it in cement? The answer is no. So the first thing we got to do is get rid of the cement, somehow get a sledge. You got to, sometimes you got to, what's that? Uh, it's a sledgehammer. It's a sledgehammer. And you got to get that cement, break it away, pull away the pieces. Hopefully you got some dirt underneath there to water and till that soil and make it rich. And then you can plant a seed and you see the idea. So here I am facing an audience. It's pure cement. And sometimes you got to pull out that sledgehammer, that jackhammer. That's what I was looking for. A jackhammer. And you got to chip away at that cement. Sometimes you don't even have that. You got to pull out a bulldozer and do that. And I pulled out the bulldozer. They introduced me. I went up on stage. And the first thing I did as people were clanking and talking, I think I stood up. I said, folks, thank you for being here. I said, the first thing I can do, I'd like to ask you all to stand up if you would, please. And people looked at me like I was crazy and they all stood up. And I said, wonderful. And I said, now, you, the wonderful staff in the room here, if you would, if you have a plate in hand, if you're about to grab one, I'd ask you to grab it now and you're welcome to take it out stage. I'm about to do an exercise with this audience and you have about a minute to clear those plates and we'll have them on the outside because we're about to get our show started. Awesome. Here we go. I said, all of us, and this is, I looked and addressed the group, all of us have a big challenge, the same challenge that I have right now, which is how do we capture attention in a highly distracted world. Right now, I find myself on a stage staring at 500, 600 people and playing, clanging plates and food and conversations. And how am I going to deliver a message if I can't even capture your attention? Now, some might say what I did was bold, but let me ask you, how important is your message? All of you in this room, I would venture to say, believe in the message that you want to share. How many people here believe in the message they have and all hands start going up? Things start getting quiet. I said, how many of you here know that if you share your message in a compelling way, you're able to help somebody? Show me hands and all hands went up. I said, I believe the same thing. I believe it enough to care enough to be a little unreasonable sometimes and sometimes ask the tough question even if it means to politely ask the plates to be moved. And so you can see now all of a sudden what I took was a very potentially awkward situation and made it a lesson. And that lesson was relevant to the moment that was happening. And that's what we call Kairos. Kairos is about timeliness, timeliness in the moment. And when you can find that beautiful moment of something that's happening and draw that lesson out with what we call the tie down. Again, we're going to talk lots about these terms. So you got to follow this podcast because you're going to learn terms about this. Yes, we got to buy the book too. You're going to learn these terms. are going to help you really understand what storytelling is and how to draw the value out of it. But the moment we started finding the value in the moment, 
is when the audience started shifting. And then we had somebody that wasn't standing. I said, sir, if I could politely ask you to stand. And, and he wasn't standing. They were looking at me. I said, sir, I said, it's okay. I said, I understand the resistance. I totally understand the resistance. I said, it's no different than right now than the things that we want to sell and our clients resisting us. So the last thing I want to do is be told what to do. I get it. And he looked at me and he smiled and I said, but that feeling you have of resistance is no different than your client resisting you, the ideas that you sell. What do you do, sir? He said, I sell insurance. I said, do you believe in your insurance? He said, yes. I said, does your insurance help people? I said, yes. Does everybody buy hook, line, and sinker? Do you have some people that are a little bit skeptical? He said, you have them from time to time. I said, great. And I'm assuming those ones that are a little bit skeptical, if you're able to help them, are those ones that are typically the happiest? He said, ironically, yes. I said, isn't that how that works? I said, you and I are no different, my friend. And he kind of smiled and I said, and I got to tell you, I appreciate the people that are willing to push back a little bit on ideas because that's how we engage. Now, again, we took a potentially awkward situation. Somebody that was resisting in the audience. I've always loved resistance, resistant audiences because they become lessons. And also the reason I don't use PowerPoint because my audience is my PowerPoint. If we want somebody to illustrate body language or bring somebody on stage and most people are pretty unaware of how they stand, they're pretty unaware of their posture, they're pretty unaware of how they, where to put their hands. And so we can use that as a real live example. It's fresh, it's unique, and it's just fun for the audience to watch. And so all of that kind of stuff is kind of going on at the same time. So he is now there, he's engaged, the audience is engaged. I tell my story about my mother, who's a former nun. They all start laughing. Yes, she was a former nun. And I ask them to pay attention to the room and their energy level. And all of a sudden, you notice that it's a little bit quiet. I have them all shake hands, and we come back, and then we pause. And I say, now, in the beginning, how many of you felt a little awkward when I asked the staff, politely grab their plates and leave. And all hands went up. I said, how many of you are glad that I did? And all hands went up. And so when we look at those scenarios, that concept of caring enough to be unreasonable in those moments and understanding that the first thing we have to do, if we have a, an idea that we got to capture attention now in social media, this isn't about social media. Those are, that's the hook point. That's all those other wonderful books I'm talking about with people. If you're interpersonal communication, influence with people, a distracted world when you're somebody is on their computer, if you're trying to get a group of salespeople and they're on Zoom and they haven't even showed up to the Zoom call, they're off camera, they haven't even turned their cameras on or they're driving around and maybe they're, they're, they haven't even showed up because their head is maybe off screen. I tell people, if you're, if you're running Zoom meetings, by the way, have a protocol where you demand people, like at least when I say demand, like create a protocol where people show up on, on camera. You know, eliminate the dead space above their head so that they at least are paying attention to how they show up for customers. You'll find when you change posture on Zoom that people actually engage in their meetings more. During the pandemic, when we lost all of our events, we, we focused and turned around and built a studio that actually that I'm in right now. And we did over 320 virtual events over the pandemic. That process taught us so much about how do we capture attention. And so the other thing that we learned when it comes to capturing attention in a distracted world is that you need to trigger two neurotransmitters. That part is what I thought was fascinating because really what you're trying to fix or you're trying to fight because it's a battle, 
you're, you're trying to fight the battle of disassociation. If you're in front of the room, you're on Zoom, people aren't paying attention to you. They've disassociated from you. They're paying attention to something else. Something else is more interesting than you. If you're Thanksgiving dinner and the TV's on in the other room and you hear there's a movie on, you hear the, the game is on, you know there's characters, you know there's something's happening. You can't really hear the voices, but you know it's happening. All that stuff's there. You know it's it, but you've disassociated, so you're paying attention to something a little bit more important in front of you. Maybe it's a conversation, or maybe it's your phone. That's disassociation. And so the two neurotransmitters that have to happen are dopamine and norepinephrine. So dopamine is triggered through novelty, right? Novelty. Novelty is something new. And so in our Zoom calls, we do things that are novel. We programmed a software to overlay over Zoom that would bring up a, a floating human brain. We had a button that I would push that would trigger big red X's and sound a foghorn to kind of wake people up. And that, those were novel sort of things. And novelty also happens in the anticipation of reward. If you can look at creating novel sort of anticipatory types of things, things that are happening at the end, like the story that I promised to tell you, that I just told you. You also find that once you tell the story that dopamine starts going down. So I'm sorry that I depleted your dopamine and now it's starting to go away. But I got better things that are coming at the end of this. So the dopamine, once it's it's there, you also have to trigger norepinephrine. Norepinephrine is triggered through tension. And so novelty and tension capture attention. So those two pieces together are really sort of the, the trick to capture people's attention. And so if you can trigger dopamine and norepinephrine on a Zoom call, if you can do that in a presentation, and sometimes a pause can do both. It's novel because it's different. I've been talking this entire time and all of a sudden there's a silence point. And now the tension of, did he forget what he was gonna say? If you're watching on video, you're looking at my awkward face and going, what? If you're just listening to the audio, you're wondering, did, did, did it cut out? What, what happened here? But that moment where you felt something, go back to the feeling. That is the feeling of those dopamine and norepinephrine, those neurotransmitters passing through your brain and capturing your attention. And so learning how to do that, a pause is super powerful. We use that all the time in presentation where if I've got a chatty group of people over in a corner, I have the option of telling them to be quiet. Well, it's not always a good option to do that. It's just, it's just not. Now, if I've got people in the back of the room on something, I'd say, hey, those of you in the back of the room, just so you guys know, we can hear everything you're saying. So please, if you would. And so I'll do it kind of a, as a joke. You know, I'll say I can hear everything you're saying and you know, kind of we'll just laugh about it. But that also can happen if I have a lot of credibility with, and rapport built with the audience. I probably wouldn't start that way. Or if I know that I'm about to enter something that I've got them for a long time and I, can, I get a chance to build that relationship with them. So the other piece is I'll also use silence to bring attention. I might bring proximity. If I walk over to the group that's talking, I might walk in close proximity two or three feet away from them, turn my back to them and continue to talk. And now the audience is looking at me, they look past me, they see them, that level of accountability will get them to stop talking. Or if they're chatting over in the corner, I stop talking for a split second, one second, second and a half, they go from and they stop talking and then I begin talking again. Just that change in my cadence captures their attention for a second and I continue talking. They never knew I did that for them. They didn't even know what happened. They just stopped talking and no one's embarrassed by it. No one felt called out about it. It just worked. 
And so, again, these are things that do take time and they take practice, but it's definitely worth it. And so this whole thing about capturing attention and controlling your room, I had the same thing happen in Las Vegas. I did an event three years ago, same concept now that I think about it. It was an Amplify event. I was asked to speak at an event in Vegas. I said, you know what? It was a dinner event, so I told the group that those that wanted to come could come watch. This one was different, though. This was for a Day of the Dead celebration they wanted me to keynote at. And I thought, wow, that'll be kind of fun. I show up with the students as well, and everyone is in full Day of the Dead garb, painted faces like skeletons and skulls, and they're drinking. Mariachi bands are playing. DJ's going. And I'm thinking to myself, what did they just invite me to? And who in the world is going to want to listen to a keynote at a party? Talk about messing up on Kairos. Timing is way off. And I'm thinking to myself, and I looked at the crew, I'm like, this is not going to go well. And I go, who wants to listen to a talk? And then I thought to myself, I said, okay, maybe this is an opportunity and a way that I could put more weight on the bar. I can test my skills, see if I can't control the room, and get a good 10 minutes in. See what happens. So I start analyzing the room, and I asked the, the person who invited me, I said, where is this talk going to be? And they said, I don't know, anywhere you want it to be. <laughs> That's not what you want to hear. And I said, well, what are the options? Well, we have a DJ out on the patio, and we figured we'd bring everyone into this room over here that has no chairs and no stage. So mind you, 150 people standing and me standing in front of 150 people with a microphone. If that's not awkward, I don't know what it is. So I looked at him, I said, that's not going to work. And so we said, let's look back out there. We open up the door, it's windy, it's loud, and there's a DJ. And I said, okay, oh, by the way, full open bar, people drinking. So we looked at this thing, I said, okay, I'm going to keep this to 10 minutes. We're going to keep it short and sweet. We get it done, we... I get called up there. I've got a friend of mine who actually was a former uh, professional basketball player, played in the NBA, and I sit him out in the middle because I'm going to use him as a way of capturing attention. That's what we call borrowing ethos. Borrowing ethos is, is ethos is somebody's credibility and character. So if somebody has some of that and they're willing to lend it to you for a moment, he was a good friend and a student there. And uh, I said, I'm going to need to use you, so stay there. We're going to use you as sort of a, a decoy to capture attention. He said, not a problem. So we put him in the middle. And I went up on stage and they introduced me. People didn't hear. I said, before we get started, if you guys in the back, would you mind closing those doors off to your left? Because there was music coming in from the inside. It was super loud and distracting. People were coming in and out. And, and I said, perfect. So it took a second. It was a little awkward. I didn't do any sort of great storytelling in the beginning. I had to control the room. Now, if I can't, I told you once, say a hundred times, control the room, control the seating arrangements because the way things are set up has a big impact. We controlled the room and I said, all right, I did some sort of, sort of tied on the importance of controlling the room. And I said, but before we get started, I said, I've got a good group of my friends over here. We've got John Thomas actually over here. He's playing with the, play with the Minnesota Timberwolves, got 11 seasons of pro basketball. And I said, John, you know, just stand up and introduce yourself real quick. And everyone's like, oh, pro basketball player. All of a sudden, all attention was captured. And he stands up and he waves everybody. He says, you know, we're just excited to be here, Renee. Thank you. For, thanks for having us. And he gives it back to me. I have their attention. I probably have about five minutes, maybe a couple minutes before they start getting distracted. So I've got to move fast. I got to capture the attention. I've got to walk the audience. I've got to be funny. I got to keep it light because it's a party. 
but I got to keep it relevant and I've got to keep it very, very poignant. And so we did that. I think I went about eight minutes and I said, that's about as deep as I'm going to get. We're in Las Vegas. It's a pleasure to be here. They got excited. They started screaming and we got out. So all of that really is about controlling the room. So now you may not be a speaker controlling a room per se, but it really is about controlling the place that you present. You know, an elevator, the elevator pitch is not, it's not what people think. It's people think it's elevator pitch. You got to pitch your product. You don't. Your elevator pitch is, is really about buying you a little bit more time to, to maybe book an appointment. Maybe it's elevator pitch is enough to say, you know, that's intriguing. Here's your business card. Call me. Maybe the elevator pitch is getting enough time that the person gets out of the elevator and says, tell me a little bit more. Maybe that elevator pitch is the first of 15 elevator meetings because you guys just started working together and you're working your way up. The elevator pitch needs to be short and sweet, but it's not a great place for a presentation. Okay. So the concept behind an elevator pitch is that you do need to understand what you do, but you need to understand your sales process and the elevator pitch to get you to a next step in the process. Now, a dinner table. What's the room like? Are they waiting for something? If that's controlling the room, it's not the best place to present. So you shouldn't have a PowerPoint presentation or some sort of perspective or brochure at a dinner table. But you know what is acceptable at a dinner table? A napkin. So you should learn how to present on a napkin there. That's how you present at a dinner table. And so all of those things, you, you, when I talk about controlling the room, sometimes means I'm in the wrong room, don't present right now. But deliver enough value so that they'll want to follow me to the right room. And so when you're finishing presentations and people are asking for a call to action, sometimes your presentation, you're not ready for the full call to buy. Sometimes it's a call to action to get to the right room so that you can control the room. Because sometimes a Zoom or a webinar isn't the right room for the full presentation. If you're selling a higher ticket item or you're selling a bigger, a bigger commitment, like say a recruiting message, you want somebody to come work for you, they're probably not going to make that decision over some sort of digital web interface. But if you can create intrigue enough for them to do a visit or maybe a private Zoom call or Teams call, then all of a sudden you have more time to do that. And then from that point to actually do an in-person meeting to fly somewhere. All of that is understanding the room of where you're at and how the room is either helping you or hurting you. What are all the dynamics? Self-awareness is key. Where their attention is or isn't. What it takes to capture attention and then caring enough to be unreasonable with it. You have to, have to, have to be assertive in that process because here's what I mean by caring enough. Your audience came there for value. They trusted you, the host, whoever invited them to deliver value. And if you care about them, you're going to deliver value. If you believe in yourself and you're in this world of either managing, leading, being a parent or a teacher, then you believe and you have to believe in the value you, you, you deliver. And if you offer them anything other than the best possible delivery vehicle, best possible scenario, you're doing them a disservice. So control the room for the best possible vehicle for delivery. So that's it for today's episode. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thank you for sharing this time with us. If the experience resonated with you, Follow us on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or AmplifyMyLife.com. Share it with anyone else who's ready to amplify their lives. And remember to let our hearts 
Speak in Sequence. For more from Renee Rodriguez, visit meetrene.com. Thank you.